And we're recording. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our Quality Matters podcast. I'm your hostess, Darcy Chambers. I'm Kyle Chambers. We have a special guest with us today, Mark LeCure. You want to introduce yourself, Mark? I'm not so sure I'm special, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends yeah. on what kind of special, I guess. Yeah, so Mark LeCure, um, we run Oil & Gas Global Network, the top, what are we up to now, eight podcasts in the world in the oil and gas industry. And we're yeah, just having crazy. fun telling those great stories. It's crazy. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. He said he was on your 29th episode of your first podcast, which I guess is the Health and Safety Red Wing, sponsored by Red Wing. Were you on the 29th episode? I was number 29, and, and if we release this one next, you'll be 29. Oh, what are the odds of that happening? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So it worked out perfect. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, we are wrapping up our mini-series on understanding the ISO standard, and the last thing that Kyle wanted to talk about was contract review. Yep, yep. So... He said you would be the perfect person to I'm have not on. I'm sure I'm the perfect person for that either, but <laughs> oh, no, I can try. I'll tell you why. Um, I, I used to look down on a sales team a lot. I didn't see quite the value that was there. I just saw I was bringing in business, you know, probably, you know, number of ways that that could happen. What I didn't realize is how incredibly important that is to the actual functioning of the business and the, the quality control later on you know, maintaining all of these various aspects that are required by a quality management system, right? You got to know your requirements. You got to know your specs. You got to know your timelines, your schedules, your deliverables. You got to maintain that feedback. Like all of this is literally the front and the back of your quality management system. And you have tons of experience in this realm. Uh-oh. So <laughs> I just kind of want to take a few minutes to chat with you about, you know, What's it really take to not only just drive sales from the customer relations standpoint, but really the pitfalls that folks can run into that, that cause problems in production and quality after the fact? Yeah, so I have to go on the record here. I was that guy 20 years ago that used to sell stuff. My company wasn't quite ready to sell yet. And so my, <laughs> my sales engineers didn't like me, but my management loved me because I was bringing in revenue. Yeah, it's really interesting. So sales continuously changes, just like marketing. Now in 2019, a good salesperson is a problem solver, mm-hmm. right? And a good salesperson is not somebody trying to make you buy something that you don't want. That's a horrible <laughs> salesperson. That doesn't count as a professional salesperson, right? right? Um, but from a from a uh, sales point, of view, you got to remember, even if you're not in a sales role, if you work for a company, you sell. Mm-hmm. You got to go to your boss and sell them an idea that you want to go to this conference. You got to talk to somebody about bringing a new quality management system in because you know in your heart that what you're doing now doesn't cut cut it. Right? Yep. That's still sales. It is. And it's all about problem solving. It's all about being able to articulate why that solution makes sense mm-hmm. and then guiding the customer, whether it's internal, external, through the buying journey. Yeah. Right? Um, this world is so complex and we're all so busy that if you can't help your com- your customer or your internal customer buy from you, mm-hmm. right? you can lose some sales. Where if you can hold their hand and talk, bring them through the process, and there is a process, yes. it makes everything easier for them yeah. and for you. So because this is something where I think sales oftentimes gets the bad reputation that I 
I, you know, had for it, you know, uh, years back is and you're talking about like they're just pushing products on you or, or whatnot. So you, what are some of these things that, um, you know, folks need to to uh, to worry about um, with that sales process? And you're talking about, you know, to make sure that they get what they need and guide them through that process. What, what's that look like? Yeah, it's, it's a whole bunch of things. So first thing is you need to be able to identify a problem. And a lot of times um, you're prospects know they have a problem they don't know the degree and they don't know what the solutions are right totally um, agree so first thing is you need to identify <laughs> identify the problem the next thing is you have to understand their business i'll mm -hmm. give you a perfect example one of the super majors the, the biggest super major out there actually i watched about seven years ago a company stand up a solution and then go out of business so this the oil and gas company had all their project management data in primavera Right, and they had all their financial data in SAP, and they paid this team of about thirty people globally each month to pull the project data out and the financial data out and put it in Excel spreadsheets so the leaders could make business decisions. And this com <laughs> this company saw this and goes, "We can fix this problem." Right, mm -hmm. we create a BI tool that would lay give it a easy understand graphical interface in real time. Uh -huh. What they didn't realize is this super major did not want to fix the problem; they mm -hmm. wanted it in Excel. So that's a perfect example of you identify a problem that the client doesn't want to fix, right? right. So you got to find the one the problems that the clients want to fix, yeah. right? And the easiest way to figure that out is just have open conversations, like what's going on in your in your business today. <clears throat> but because everybody's so busy, the days of having what used to be called a qualification call right. is worthless. Nobody has time to sit and talk you through the problems they're dealing with. You as a salesperson need to go out and do your research up front, and you need to be able to go to the prospect and go look. I know you have this problem. I know your HSE incidences or your uh, payroll or your uh, um, you know applications uh, recovery time or your uptime or whatever is X, and I know you want it to be Y. I can help you get from X and Y. That's what a salesperson does. It, and if you can identify a problem that the prospect has that they don't know they have, that's even a bigger bonus. So that's like step one is identifying that problem. Yeah. Step two is can you build a business case? Can you help the prospect build a business case so they can sell it internally? The old days of decision makers, which I hate that name because <laughs> they don't exist anymore. Companies have realized that having a single person that make a buying decision is not a good thing for the company. So that mm -hmm. decision making is now done by a team, either yeah. formal or informally. Mm -hmm. And if it's formal, let me tell you something. The three or four guys that come to your meeting are half the team. There's another three or four people on that team that don't even show up to your meeting. You need to figure out who those people are because each person has a different stake in the game. There's a, even though you bring in the same solution, the CFO may see the solution as a way to increase shareholder value, right? Mm -hmm. The portfolio manager may see it as a way to make sure their projects hit their delivery dates, right? The frontline employee may see it just makes his day easier, right? Mm -hmm. Same solution, mm -hmm. yeah. three different stakeholders, three different, mm -hmm. um, um, three different approaches or three different ways they look at it, how it helps them. Yeah. So then once you've identified the stakeholders, the next thing is the buying process. Mm -hmm. Every company's different. So in our case, we deal with a lot of big companies that sponsor our podcast. Sometimes their buying process is a year, right? Mm -hmm. You got to negotiate a master service agreement, right? Yep. That's months, right? Um, you have to find the right people. You have to figure out where you fit in their budget. Maybe it's not a budgetary cycle. So sometimes it may take a year. So you have to have that heightened time awareness as a salesperson. And then finally, once you close the business, that's not the end of it. That's really the beginning. Because yeah. now you want to make sure they're happy. If they're not using your product or service, you need to know why. If it's not solving the problem, you need to know why. Yep. And then the biggest thing is you need, as a salesperson, you need to learn how to walk away from deals. If it's not in your core competency, if you can't do it, say no. We, we do this all the time. We have companies reach out to us, want us to do X, Y, Z. It's like, we don't do that. We say no. That's the process for a, for a good salesperson in 2019. And give it five or six years, it'll change a little bit more. <laughs>
<laughs> no, I like that. I like that. Well, I want to go back to what you were talking about, identify the problem and the company that came and offered a solution to a problem that they didn't really fix. It seems like, or that they didn't want fixed, that that would offend the company. If you say, hey, I'm going to fix your problem, they say, well, that's not a problem. Yeah, so it seems like it would turn them off. So it, it probably did. I wasn't privy to those conversations, but it, it probably, you got to be real careful. Every company has um, you know, sacred cows. There's an elephant in every room, right, when you're in a meeting. And, and the sooner you can figure out what that is, the better. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Up until just recently, if I'd walk into ExxonMobil, if I called them an energy company, they'd get mad. They weren't an energy company. They were an oil and gas company, and they were very specific about that. That wow. was ExxonMobil's culture. That's starting to change a little bit right now, yeah. but still, just understanding that. So when I would bring people in, I would brief them ahead of time. Like, do not call them an energy company, right? right. They're an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Everybody has their little quirks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, and I, I like what you said, and it, it's it's not only just true practically in business, but if you go like take a look at the uh, ISO 9001 standard, you know, this is why I'm interested in talking about sales because it's something I don't think we've actually talked about once so far, and it's kind of a shame, is, you know, once that buy is made, that truly is the beginning of the process. You don't get to just wash your hands. And so... I know every organization is different. So in some cases that uh, whoever's responsible for the sale may kind of follow the client through the production process. Um, But if they don't follow that client through the process, how do they communicate effectively what to do? Yeah. Because the salesman could have made all sorts of claims and promises Mm -hmm. and it might be on this 20 page long contract, but how's that get communicated? Yeah. So if you're, if you work for a company that has a delivery team, right? So your delivery team is the one that fulfills whatever you just sold. As a salesperson, you do not walk away and let the delivery team just run, right? You stay in touch with them. Um, Your job is to basically um, herd the cats, right? So (laughs) so your delivery team typically, hopefully, knows what they're doing, right? They come in, implementation, they understand the the back office, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they don't understand things like finance. Right? They don't understand that something may happen in the customer's business on the other side of the world tomorrow, which may affect what they're doing now. And as a salesperson, right. you need to be leading that. You need to be in constant communication, both with your delivery team and with the client. Mm-hmm. And you need to own it. If something messes up, you own it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't say, oh, my delivery team screwed up. No, it's you own it. Yeah. Right? And, and the clients will respect that. The fact that you're mm-hmm. open and honest and, and, and will tell them when you, mistakes are made. Because honestly, mistakes happen all the time. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you're open and honest and tell them to go, you know, hey, we told you it would be up and operating by May 6th. It's actually going to be June. If you own that up front, you may get fussed out a little bit, but you'll keep the business. Right. What you don't want to have happen is you're scared and it's supposed to start in May. It doesn't happen until June. You don't say anything. Now you're, you're toast. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And we were talking about that with our kids the other day. Who have you been reading from? The 12 Rules for Life or... Oh, yeah, uh, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. Yeah, and that was one of the rules. Just tell the truth, but at least don't lie. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I'll tell you a personal story around that. I, I tell all my young guys, I mentor a lot of young people, and I tell all my young guy friends this. It's like, look, women are wired differently than men. They remember everything. <laughs> don't lie, because you'll, you'll forget that you lied, and then you're telling yourself three years later, and you'll get in a whole bunch of trouble where if you just go, hey, honey, I didn't wash the car, whatever. You might right. get fussed out yeah. a little bit, but yeah. that, that, it's over with. <laughs> That is the truth. That is the truth. I know it's the truth. <laughs> and, and uh, but you know, with with business, so it, it works the same though because everyone has email. Yep. You got email record or everything. That's how most of these communications go through. Or if you're like me, if you have a conversation, like just for my own sake, I'm going to send you a follow up email yep. about what we talked about. So I've got record of what I said. Yeah. Um, and so we build the whole management of change process into our contracts, right? Really? It's in the contracts up front because I want the client that we're working with to know that if we need to change anything, if there's going to be some scope creep, 
no. If there's going to be some changes, we're going to document it. Just uh -huh. like you said, yeah. it's kind of save your butt type of deal. But yep. we, we know that's going to happen. So it's built in our contracts up front. Really? Yeah. Now, I'd, I'd like to know more about that. So how's, how's, that, uh, work, how, how's that process work for a it's change? It's a very simple process. So basically, if there's a, a change in, in the, what needs to have happened, it, somebody initiates an email and we literally title it MOC, MOC number one, mm -hmm. management change. And then we, we, we go back and forth with email until we agree upon it. And then that email serves as the ability, that email chain is now serves as the ability to change the contract. So mm -hmm. we don't need to go back to legal. We don't need to go back to doing anything else. We may issue a separate scope of work, but the MSA right. stays the same. But since we agreed upon the legalese up front, the, the management change process, yes, which makes I love it easy it. for everybody. I love it. Yeah. That, that is Because that is actually something that we run into uh, with our software is... You know, they'll want to be able to have, um, actually, I've got a, a project right now I'm bidding where this is an option, is they want to be able to have the customer view the uh, change request form and view the uh, request for quote, and they want the customer to be able to view all these different things, and which is fine, and we can set that up from a technical standpoint, but then the question is, well, how do you track that feedback back and forth? Because, you know, yeah, you can put in a little text field over here, but it's not very user-friendly. We've not figured that out yet. Yeah, we only use email. Um, so email holds up in court. Uh, email is rock solid as far as evidence. Um, and you don't get into that he said, she said type of right. thing. And especially around scope creep. You know this. Uh -huh. All it takes is somebody in the field to go, oh, can we have this green instead of red? And you may say, yeah. The guy in the field may say, yeah. Not knowing that the app dev guys back in the office have to spend 100 hours doing something. Right? Amen. So you gotta, right. <laughs> Amen. You, you got to build it up front so that type of thing does not happen. Yeah. That's, That's very, very interesting. interesting. That's a good tip, I think. <laughs> yeah. That is people. a very good. Well, and that makes sense, though, because the emails, you know, it's written in uh, memo format. Yeah. So I hadn't considered that before. So I learned something new every day. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to share my contracts with you. You want to copy it? Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I just might do that. Because, <laughs> you know, it is like some of the things we do, because obviously uh, it, it applies more to the software development uh, side of things, but, uh, you know, like large uh, consultation projects. I mean, sometimes people really change direction with where they want to go. And how well, are you going to judge, like, well, this isn't what we agreed to six months ago? Yeah, it, you got to be real careful when you're in a room full of people, which is actually the way we end up, before we sign contracts, we end up doing this whiteboarding session, get everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. But you really got to watch people's faces and read body language. So if you say something like, well, this is going to cost $100,000 and somebody frowns, you need to own that and stop and go, hey, I noticed that you didn't like that. Let's talk about it. And typically they'll go, well, that's too much money. And then you'll go, is it too much money? Is that really what it is? Or are you afraid that it's not worth the money, that there's a risk? There? And they go, well, I don't know if it's going to work. It's a risk. And you go, well, then how about we do something different? I can fix this, right? How about we have billing milestones, right? So instead of you paying me hundred grand, we'll do 20 because right. it, it's going to cost me 20 to get everything rolling, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we'll go to the next step and next step. So you can take that um, disagreement that normally isn't vocalized in a meeting and you mm -hmm. can own it and you can actually use it to make your relationship with the clients better. No, def definitely agree. And, uh, you know, all this, can, it goes in to set these client expectations, these customer expectations. And, you know, um, again, this is just such a huge part of the quality management system that folks don't recognize. Like if you go, uh, you know, to the ISO 9001 standard, you know, they've got this huge graphic that takes up the whole page nearly talking about, you know, the, uh, the whole QMS cycle. And at the front of it is customer requirements. And at the back of it is customer satisfaction. Yeah. And this is... The, you know, the, the sales team is really the first and the last person to talk to them. Yeah. And it's a, a lot of salespeople. And you got to remember, salespeople tend to be compensated in a way that doesn't necessarily drive the best behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. So in, in my Bell South days, um, I was compensated on 
new clients and I was compensated on keeping existing revenue coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point they, they tipped the ratio. So it was it used to be 60% of my business or my personal income came from new clients and 40 came from protecting existing revenue. Well, one mm-hmm. year they decided to flip that around. So what did I do as a salesperson? I went and offered discounts to all my clients to get them to sign up, mm-hmm. right? Which actually hurt the revenue of my company. But the right. way they incited me drove that type of behavior. Yeah. And if you lead an organization, you got to be very careful how you compensate your salespeople. You got to make sure you compensate them in a way that drives the right behavior. And customer satisfaction in today's world as a salesperson should probably be about 20% of every salesperson's uh, bonus or, mm-hmm. or their commission is that, Right, yeah. because you want to keep those long-term relationships. Because today's always-on marketing world, if you do bad business for a company and they have you know twenty thousand Twitter followers, you're toast. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Um, but no, it is. It, it's so nice. Like you know, we've got uh, you know several clients where you know three years in a row we've done that, done the audits for them, and so it's just nice to have that uh, come in. And Repeat I didn't have business. to do any work to get it. I just had to send them an email every couple of months to see how things are going. Yeah, and then also think about the cost. Think about if you lost that client and you had to go find another client. Oh gosh, yeah. How much money would you spend finding another client versus keeping that one? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a little hint. Um, you probably know that I have this oil and gas events newsletter. Mm-hmm. You know what that really is? It's two things. One is a revenue source for me. Bigger thing is it's my way to stay in front of our clients without me doing anything. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They get it every month. So we're top of mind. They find it valuable. So something as simple as that, like in your case, you could put together a quality management newsletter. Like here's the next 10 things that come with quality. Mm -hmm. And you have your client sign up for it. Well, now it's delivered every month automatically, right? Mm -hmm. You pay an intern 20 bucks to to write the thing once a month. And now (laughs) that's, that's what I do. My interns do our newsletter. And now you're in front of them every month and they remember you and yeah. see you can automate that in today's world yeah no, that, that's uh, that's interesting a lot yeah. of good tips it is it is <laughs> you know we, we were talking just for the podcast a little bit um this totally not oil and gas related but uh you know gallery furniture and uh, uh you know mattress mac and you know, you're talking about the commissions uh you know I, i've been reading about what um, kind of what he did in the early days for his commission structure and he realized that it was just really tearing up his company is that he had like whatever their quota was if they hit the quota they got a 10 percent commission if they missed the quota they only got a five percent commission and so he found that he was really driving his his people to sometimes you know not take care of the customer very, very poor satisfaction and so he attended uh one of uh, edward demings who's you know we've talked about him here before but it's father of modern quality management like none of this would exist without him he attended some of uh his uh, seminars late in uh, demings life and just radically the first thing he did was to radically transform the way that he compensated his salespeople to, to drive exactly what you're talking about. It's to drive these long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know... He you, put them on salary, didn't he? Yeah, put them on salary, but then yeah. also gave, like, some uh, interesting uh, compensations on top of it, where that was part of it was, you know, repeat customers was you got uh, uh, compensated separately for that. Yes, that's driving the right behavior in his business. Yeah. So so in our case, one of the things that we do is we set a goal, which is your quota, right, mm-hmm. for our salespeople. When they hit it, I start paying them more. I give them accelerators, right? Why would you want to throttle back your salesperson ever? Right? <laughs> it's the only person bringing money into the company, right? Yeah. Everybody else is a cost. Yep. So my salespeople, once they hit their quota, they start making a higher percentage they made before they hit their quota. That, In my world, that drives the right behavior. Yeah. I got one more question for you because you talked about um, when folks, uh, 20% of uh, their compensation should be on customer satisfaction. I have seen probably, honestly, probably 100 different ways that people try to gather that customer satisfaction data. What's your recommendation for folks? So uh, let me tell you what not to do. What not to do <laughs> That's a good is to use SurveyMonkey and send a survey. 
but, but let me tell you let me tell you why right so the people that have the time to answer that survey are not the people running the business the people yep. that are running the business the guy that's running the north america operations of halliburton doesn't have time to fill out that survey right yeah. mm-hmm. but he's the guy that matters so what we do is I actually have my marketing guy. So it, it, for most companies, I would recommend that you get a third party to do this, right? So Because what happens if they like Kyle and Kyle calls, hey, is everything going good? They're going to... Uh, they're not going to tell you the truth because they like you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have this independent third party yep. call in, in my case, I use my marketing. My marketing guy doesn't touch sales. Nobody's ever seen him in the whole process. Gotcha. And he is actually compensated in making sure our clients are happy. We do quarterly in-person surveys. So really? not not MailChimp, not SurveyMonkey, not any of that sort uh-huh. of stuff, in-person. And it's literally five questions. Um, and he uncovers a lot of stuff where they're happy with us. But there's something we can improve. And that's mm-hmm. the critical thing. Mm-hmm. Just because they're happy with you, don't just say, okay, I've done a great job. See if right. there's something else they want. Right. And in our case, a lot of times they don't mind paying for it. So if, if they've been a sponsor for a podcast for a year and they've seen the results we drive with the podcast and they want more, but we don't know they want more, right? There's an issue right there because yeah. we're not mm-hmm. being 100%. We're not serving them 100%. My marketing guy does a survey. He goes, hey, they'd actually like to do a live event. I go, we can do a live event. Can, will they pay for it? And he goes, yeah. So it's awesome. that sort of stuff. But in, in oil and gas, it's still an industry of people doing business with people. And so even though I come from a data research background, a market research background, I still think you get the most accurate satisfaction survey in person, just like we're doing right now. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and, and this is what has driven so many of the problems that I've run into, whether it's doing the third party audit um, or consultation, whatever it is, folks want, they, they want simple, quick numbers. And they like those simple, quick numbers because then they can make a chart or, a, you know, whatever graph or whatever they need. And then make an arbitrary decision off of, oh, I like that bar, it's, it's high. So we're gonna go with that. It's always an emotional based decision. And what they do is they use the data to, to make themselves feel better about the decision, right? So they <laughs> manipulate that data. I'll, I'll yeah. give you a perfect example. Um, this was a few years ago. It was, I think, it was Harvard. A bunch of uh, uh, students who did some research, and they found out that ninety. Actually, I say a few years ago. I think this was like nineteen ninety five. So it's a while ago. <laughs> but they found out that that ninety one percent of all child molesters in the U.S. had change in their pocket, right? So their correlation was they could use change in your pocket as a predictor if you're a child molester. Well, that's just total bull, yeah, right? right? They're 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 introducing a bias in that data, their own beliefs. Yep. And, and then they're taking the data to make it fit the situation. You yes. and I both know it's crazy that you could identify a child molester with change yeah. in your pocket, mm-hmm. but to them it made sense because that was their belief. So right. you're absolutely right, especially when you have an existing client. Uh, you have to make sure you really get to the root of what's going on in their business, and you have to do it on a regular basis because business changes. Yep. They may lose some people, may have new people come in, the mm-hmm. culture may change, they may be on a rip, they may be making money left and right, they may be hurting, they may have to lay people off, and all that's going to change the way they interact with you and your product or service. I love it. You got anything before we wrap up? I think that's it. No, I think this this is awesome. Just great advice. Thanks again for for coming out. And, uh, you know, I think it's just really cool to... To, to be on this side of the mic here a few years later. I, I just love what y'all are doing, right? It's um, <laughs> it's we need more people out there out there telling the good stories of business, and that's literally what you're doing. Well, you're, I guess before we wrap up, I have to say Kyle came to me and said months ago, I think we should do a podcast, and I just kind of smiled and nodded, and he said it for months, and then we I met you for the first time we met together, and. You said something about husband and wife, and I said, no, I don't know anything about this stuff. And you said, oh, that's perfect. And I was like, no. So here we are. Yep. Yeah. No, but, but don't you think that's awesome? There's no oh, other husband and wife combo out there in the universe, right, doing this sort of stuff. I think no, it's awesome. No, I've I listened to tons of these things, and no one does it. Yeah. And no one, no one does it in quality. We are, as far as I can tell, the 
absolute only one out here doing it. And you're also and the it, best. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank and you. I have learned a lot because mm-hmm. we did, uh, what did we find a little quiz or something? Online? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he quizzed me on quality stuff. Yeah, I turned that into a podcast. She's the boss lady. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I would hope you would pass. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, good seeing you all.